want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Kate. We're glad that you're here. If you're a visitor today, we're so grateful that you're here. Um, we have uh, coffee and donuts over there, and we have restrooms over there. Your children, if you're a visitor today, will come up for the children's sermon if they like. I want you to know that when you come for the children's sermon, today is library day. Uh, so you're going to go with Miss Beth to the library directly following the children's sermon, and you will return to worship um, before worship is completed. Good news for the week. Y'all remember when we used to have a playground back here? And then it transitioned to a playground up there. And this one was, uh, you know, kind of grassy and uh, couldn't have little guys. That playground couldn't have little guys because it's got bigger um, pieces. And so the trustees, uh, scouts, CDC teachers, parents, and memorial members uh, were out there yesterday um, creating a brand new playground in the, uh, in the shady side for little guys. So I want to make sure you, uh, yeah, absolutely. We got the uh, mulch donated for free over barely any cost. Um, the CEP uh, took on any cost that we had and uh, really did a great job. It looks beautiful out there. And so now we have a playground in the shade for little guys, a playground out front for big guys. And um, as I mentioned before, facilities really show newcomers what you think about your whatever particular area it is. And so um, with that effort, we are really showing them uh, what we think about children. Uh, mission and service, make sure if um, you were unable to give to Edward Children's Home, make sure you uh, do that this week or um, uh, next week and bring to the church office. Epworth is a facility in Columbia that helps children who don't have a solid home. They've done it for decades and give them a solid opportunity to get back on their feet, get to school, and have an opportunity uh, to have a good life. So if you want to give to Epworth Children's Home, which is a United Methodist uh, agency, we encourage you to do so. Uh, worship note, the kids are going to sing in our 11 a.m. service this morning. And if you have a child that's in this worship service that's going there, they need to go to the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. Worship ends here at what, about what time? 9.51. So you got about nine minutes. If you want to grab another donut, you want to grab whatever, get your kid. Your kid needs coffee to wake up this morning, get some coffee, get them over to the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. They're going to practice, and then they're going to sing at 11 o'clock. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, if you have prayer concerns, if you would raise your hand, our ushers will bring you a note card. You can place that, uh, whatever you would like, on the note card. I only ask that you print, and that you print legibly. It makes it far more easy uh, to read. Um, and we will uh, not only pray over that during this service, um, but also in the Tuesday prayer group and uh, throughout the week. Um, so hand ushers will bring you that. And uh, with all that being said, let's begin our worship service. Will you stand and sing with us? Step down into darkness, open my eyes, let me see the beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Yeah. 
Gracious God, we are so blessed to have this church and this body of believers to come together. We ask that you help us to let go of our burdens and our insecurities and anything else that may be holding us back from worshiping you fully and freely this morning. Help us to define ourselves and identify ourselves with our worship and praise of you so much so that we carry it through to our day-to-day lives outside of this church. We ask that you focus our hearts and our minds on you now and that you bless this time that we have together this morning. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. the children's sermon and would you please turn and greet your neighbor.
Can you have it? Yeah. Good morning. Um, do y'all know what's in this little baggie? Rocks. And Tom said I brought a weapon to church today, so I did bring a slingshot this morning. You would like a slingshot, Ryan Foster? Ryan Foster wants a slingshot, Mr. Shaw. <laughs> um, so, five rocks and a slingshot. Does this remind you about anything? David Engelwood? You're right, Kale. Okay, so... You're right, Hattie, that's exactly right. So, who was Goliath? A giant who was nine feet tall, and he had armor on that was made of bronze, and it weighed more than a hundred pounds. Whoa. Yep, that's exactly what he did. David, was David a giant? What was David? A little boy. You're right. He was a human little boy. And did David have a weapon or a suit of armor? No, he didn't have a fancy sword or anything. What did he have? A slingshot and five little rocks that he picked out of the stone. Oh, out of the stream, sorry. Okay, so I found this story about these five little rocks and what they can represent and how we can remember five little rocks and help us when we face giants in our life. The first stone represents courage. Was David afraid? No, nope, David wasn't afraid. He knew that it took courage to fight the giant Goliath. And the second stone represents confidence. What did, David was a shepherd and what did he protect? He protected the sheep. You think about it and tell me in just a minute, okay? So, when he, when he protected the sheep and kept them safe, he had confidence to, keep, to um, overcome the giant, and God will give you confidence. The third stone is preparation. Was David unprepared? What did he do? What did he stop and get? Pebbles. He stopped and got five rocks. So it's important that you do everything you can do to be prepared for the challenges that you're going to have. And the fourth stone represents trust. Who did David trust that would keep him safe? David trusted God. So I want you to trust God that he will keep you safe. And the fifth stone is victory. Who was the winner? David was the winner, right? So when you um, hand your battles and problems over to God, he will help you be a victor. All right, can you close your eyes and say your prayer with me? Dear Father, just as you helped David win his battle, we know that when we put our trust in you, you will give us victory over the giants. Amen. All right, boys and girls, y'all go get your library books that you brought to return, and Miss Beth and I will take you to the library. So, 
Parents, your children will go to the library now with Miss Beth and Miss Marcia. There'll be two of them there wherever they go, and they'll bring them back um, before worship is over. Let me mention uh, the prayer concerns that were shared with us, and thank you for printing uh, what you wrote. We want to pray for David McClure and Carol Phillips, David Taylor battling stage 4 pancreatic cancer, the UMC Cub Scout troop on a safe return from Charleston this weekend, and for all of our students, teachers, and teachers in elementary, middle, high, and college as they have a successful year and put God first in all that they do. With those in mind and um, with it in mind that there are prayers unshared, let us go to God now. Heavenly Father, we pray to you because we know that you are willing and listening. We know that uh, you wish the best for us, not necessarily the best in terms of that we may have every single thing that's the very uh, absolute best anytime we want it, as fast as we want it, as long as we want it, but that you want a relationship. You want us to understand you. You want us to understand ourselves. You want us to understand one another. Today we will celebrate worship in our sermon. And we ask that you open our hearts and minds to that celebration. That we can understand your text given to us this day. That we can take to heart the lyrics that uh, we have sung and will sing. That we can understand uh, your uh, not railroad track fixed plan for our lives but concepts of love and justice that we can impact this community inspire us Lord as we pray the prayer your son taught his disciples to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. We continue today in a series of uh, books that we're reading, and if you would like a copy, uh, make sure you come up, to us. come up to me after worship, and I'll take your name down. Well, we're looking at five practices of fruitful congregations. It's written by a bishop from the Midwest, the United Methodist Bishop, uh, Bishop Snazy. And um, he talks about these, if the church is doing these five things, regardless if there's 25 of them or 2,500 of them, they are living out the will of God. I had a realization in talking to some of the people about the books that um, it was a pretty drastic change from a deeply personal what does God's will mean for my life and a, a, a very direct to what I'm dealing with to a somewhat corporate, what is the best strategy for our church? I understand that was a drastic shift in the books, um, but I really wanted to get you to understand God's will and the way that we talk about it and understand what our church can do uh, as we begin the fall. So today we're talking about worship. We're not just talking about worship. He always puts an adjective in front of it. We're talking about passionate worship. Worshiping like it matters. I've coached a number of teams, um, t-ball and basketball, and uh, 
I will really, I don't get on the kids for not being able to make a basket because they're only four feet tall or for not being able to dribble the ball because it goes off their foot. I get after them for if they give up the ball and somebody's starting to go down the court and they just sort of jog down. And I say, I, I want you to play like it matters. I want you to do what I'm asking you to do in practice like it matters so that we can do what we're doing in the game like it matters. You know, why are we here? What are we doing? Let's put our full effort into uh, what we're trying to do here. And so um, <laughs> I'm passionate. I'm emotional. Uh, I, I don't know if y'all seen the full measure of that, um, but it's something that I'm always talking about and what we're doing. Let's do it like it matters. So we're going to start off with a quote of the day from, uh, from the chapter on passionate worship. Worship was the reason given repeatedly for why God liberated the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. Let my people go so that they may worship me. It's from Exodus 8, verse 1. Bishop Snazy said, Worship defines God's people when it's at its very best. So the thing you've got to ask yourself is, um, uh, why were they in Egypt? What were they doing there? How did they end up being slaves in Egypt? Well, okay, so um, back in Genesis, uh, there's, uh, there's the youngest brother named Joseph. You know how older brothers treat younger brothers? This youngest brother said, I'm, you know, I've, I've had some dreams, I'm pretty special. And the older brothers say, oh, is that right? How about we throw you in a well? How about uh, we sell you into slavery? And then we'll see. Actually, they said, how about we kill him? And they said, no, that, that'd be awful. Let's sell him into slavery. That's some, that's, some, that's some older brother logic right there. But he ends up in slavery. He ends up in prison. One of the high court advisors ends up in prison. That guy has a dream. Joseph talks about interpreting dreams. I'm sorry, that guy didn't have a dream. Joseph talks about interpreting dreams. That guy gets to go back up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, God damn, these crazy dreams. I don't even know what they mean. This guy says, hey, I got a guy. He goes down to Joseph, brings Joseph up. Joseph interprets the dreams. He says, famine's coming to the region, and we've got to stockpile all our food. Pharaoh does it. Joseph's powerful. Joseph's brothers get hungry. Joseph's dad says, what are you idiots doing? They go looking for food. It's found in Egypt. And all those people come to Egypt for food. Y'all got that? Y'all got all that? They're in Egypt. And then they just keep multiplying. Generation after generation. And then there's too many of them. And then the Egyptians say, there's too many of these people. We've got to do something about it. Let's put them into slavery and we'll get free labor at, at the absolute worst. And we can eliminate some of them too. Because it's going to be too hard. These people are all of a sudden slaves in Egypt and they are in a hopeless situation. They cannot worship God. So there's blazing heat, vicious taskmasters, and endless work. Prohibited from worshiping God in any way, no pay, no freedom, and no way out. And in that moment, they are forced to helplessly call upon God. How many of y'all like asking for help? Usually when you ask for help, you say, I've already got most of it, I just need this little bit. Because you, you can't, I personally really struggle to ask for help. So God hears the people's call and God says, you know what, I need a dynamic leader to go in, confront Pharaoh, bring these people out, and get us back on the right track. 
So God calls upon Moses to come and save the people. Moses was privileged. You know, he's floated down the river. He's picked up by the Egyptians. He's raised as one of them, almost. But then he sees one of the Egyptian slave masters beating his people. And uh, he kills one of them. He runs for his life. He's given up everything that he had. He'll never come back. He's committed murder and has run far enough to never be noticed again. Also, he stutters. And um, people who have a speech impediment for any way, shape, or form, whatever reason, really try to limit speaking in public. I assume they really would not want to go and speak to a major figurehead who could harm them and ask for something to negotiate. Moses is also having run away from this Pharaoh's land, having murdered someone. Moses is forced to helplessly call upon God. So one is a group helplessly call upon God. One is an individual helplessly calling upon God. And the rest of the story is they got out. They overcame tremendous odds with that leader and those people against that force of a nation. So, they have total devotion to God because they were bound and now they're free. They're devoted. They want to worship. And because Moses was a banished murderer and now he's a leader for God, it's time to worship. It's time to have fun. It's time to let loose. And they want to worship God. I remember when I flew to Israel in 2007. I don't know anything about air traffic control. I don't know anything about building jets. I don't know anything about flying jets. I don't know anything about anything. I did know that about eight hours into the trip, I looked at a friend of mine and they make fun of me all the time. And I said, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Because there are nine seats. And airplane seats aren't built for me. The airplane seats feel about like these seats to me. They're, they're, uh, and, but imagine two people sleeping on me. And I just thought, I went, mmm. I never really had concern that the plane would be secure. I had concern that I would hold it together and make it over there um, mentally and physically. When I got there, I thought, it's time to be grateful to God. There was nothing I could do in that situation. Nothing. Utterly helpless. So here's our scripture for the day. Luke 10, 25 to 28. We're going to read it in parts like we usually do. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, that, to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to earn, to inherit eternal life? Okay, so two images there. One, a grandparent and a grandchild. If a grandchild said to a grandparent, what must I do in order for you to love me? What would the grandparents say? Are you joking? I've loved you since before you were born. You're the reason I was a parent. So that I could get to have a, grand, a grandchild. I'm going to love you, support you in every way possible. Most grandparents aren't going to do anything to make the grandchild earn love. It's ridiculous. And if that were the case, imagine how much more God loves humanity. 
But it's not quite sweet and huggy like that. Because what does it say? An, an expert in the law stood up to do what to Jesus? He wanted to test him. He's not seeking wisdom. So um, I've been very fortunate to travel a bunch of great places for continuing it. I've gone to um, St. Louis and Chicago and Dallas and Denver. And just so happens there's some sort of sporting event going on in those places, and I get to see that too. But I'm also, there's also one great thing that I'm learning every single time. You know, there's somebody there, and I'm taking copious notes and bringing them back, and the only challenge is to not try to implement them all in the first week. But what I see there every single time is someone who's like me. Um, I've had 15 years' experience talking to that expert who has poured their career into this particular subject. And the expert speaks for a good while, and then they open it up to questions. And then what does this person say when they raise their hand? Don't you think? And then they say the thing that they already believed before they ever walked in the door so that they can get the expert to confirm what they already believed. What does the expert typically do with that? I like it when they shred them. I mean, not in a, like, in a hateful way. But those experts have traveled every place. And they've heard every question. And they know, generally, that one of those first two or three questions is going to be, hey, don't you think, whatever. I, you know, I, I heard what you said, but I've put like five minutes of thought into this. <laughs> and I don't really think it's this. I don't know. Experts got, you know, they got their jeans with their untucked shirt and a blazer. And they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they go back up. You may be an expert in the law. You may have poured your heart into the law, this person. The scripture says that Jesus is the embodiment of the law. I know you know a little bit about it. But I'm it. I'm it, living and breathing. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And here's an important transition. And human beings have done it for a long, long time. It's transition to doing. It's no longer calling out in need for something that you cannot fix. It's what can I do to bridge this gap between myself and God so that we can fix this. I don't, uh, you know, God's cool and all, but I don't, I don't need God to fix it. What do I need to do in order to bridge this gap? And then it's, I, you know, I want eternal life. I want to I look past this life to the next life. And there's an awful lot of people who draw an awful lot of people and make an awful lot of money. Uh, what's the word? Uh, taken advantage of, like one word for taking advantage of, praying, praying upon people who think that they have to do something in order to earn eternal life. Jesus says, what's written in the law? That's verse 26. How do you read it? And um, I was talking to a, um, a new friend at a retreat this week. 
and he, you know, we, we kept talking about we were walking into a situation and we didn't know how it was going to be and are you trying to anticipate what's going to happen and what are you going to do in that anticipation and he said I don't ever do that, I just walk in. And I said what's the martial art where you don't go aggressively at someone, you just allow someone to come to you and use their energy against them. It's, it's like Kung Fu or Jiu Jitsu or something. What? Is it Akita? See, we're learning something today. Y'all got internet on your phone? Look it up on the Google. Uh, but the, I said, you don't, I said, you're not going aggressively into a room. You're just allowing it to happen to you and using that force against you. So when someone gives Jesus a direct, a direct question like that, usually in the, in the, the model is to test him, trip him up, and discredit him. He never directly answers them. He either gives them a question back or tells a, or tells a parable that has a concept that also doesn't actually answer their question. It shows them how they likely shouldn't even be asking that question. So in this case, he said, what have you seen, expert? What's written in the law? And let me show you this. So if you think about it, it's obvious, but you, people don't always think about it. So this is the New Testament. I'm very sorry, Greg. This is the New Testament, which didn't exist while Jesus was talking to them. They're, you know, you're thinking, well, they're Christians. This was their, no, they didn't have this. This was their book. And the primary part of their book that they used was the law in the front. He says, what do, you, what do you think, expert? What does the law say? And in the law, there's any number of complicated ways in which human beings can fall short, but they're asked to drive and fix it themselves. But if you look in the Psalms, you see raw emotion of people reaching out to God. They're either reaching out to God in total joy and celebration of something that's happened, in total anger that they fear God has abandoned them, in total anxiety that a situation is coming for which they are not prepared, or they're totally willing. Use me as a vessel. See, the law wasn't, the law can't, actually isn't the best way to figure out how we're supposed to understand what God wants. Understanding that human emotion, understanding that we desperately need help, understanding that we can call out to God and desperately seek God's guidance. Here's the second quote of the day. People are searching for worship that is authentic, alive, creative, and comprehensible where they experience the life-changing presence of God in the presence of others. You think people are thinking that when they're walking in the door? I'm curious. Because I've chased what people want in worship for nearly a decade. I have. Um, the first five years, I didn't know anything. I just showed up and I talked about scripture. And I, I didn't even know to know that I didn't know anything. I didn't even know that I didn't know anything. Okay. And then when I went to a new church start and I thought, is this the worship that people are looking for? 
in there, change it, and says, this is the worship people are looking for. And his contemporary worship changes all the time. He says, this is the worship people are looking for. And wait, who are we talking about? We're talking about the people who are here, or we're talking about the people who are not here. Because here's the thing. Traditional worship is like Thanksgiving dinner. It, it's turkey, and it's dressing, and it's... Don't let me leave something that y'all love out. Um, uh, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, apple pie, I guess, uh, stuffing. Contemporary, we have it every week. And we do it well every week. Contemporary worship is where do y'all want to eat? Ask 150 people where they want to eat. And how many different answers are you going to get? And then even if we narrowed it down to a place, what do y'all want to eat here? So I have uh, just obsessed and grinded and fought and scratched thinking what do people want in worship to get them to come? And have been um, more competitive than I should have. I've gotten uh, more health conditions because I've fought it so hard and wanted it so desperately. In um, the new church start, we had a huge window that looked out to the parking lot, and I would stare out the window like a fifth grader hoping people were going to come to my birthday party. That was more like maybe like a middle schooler, hoping people, like, are people going to come today? Are people, people going to come today? Are we doing today what people want? Maybe the changes last week wasn't the changes that we want. Maybe the changes we're supposed to make, are people going to come today? I made it fiercely competitive. Reading this chapter and reading this text and overcoming all that um, grinding, competitive stuff that I did, or I should say working on overcoming it. I'm in recovery. I'm thinking the thing that worship needs to be is gratitude for the things in our lives that we are grateful for. So those people in Egypt could do nothing. There was nothing they could do. And as God helped them out, they were grateful. As Moses was called to be a leader, and there was nothing, he, there was no way, shape, or form he was qualified to do that job and went in and did it. There was nothing he could do. There was nothing he could do but be grateful. This is what the expert says in verse 27. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So there's a difference between knowing and doing. So if we're aware of how much God has loved us, then we can come here and celebrate in worship. And my pledge is that I'm not going to be a desperate, grabby, competitive, grinding leader for what worship is. I'm simply going to try to find ways to celebrate when we gather together. What are the ways that we can unleash the celebration that we have in our lives? So here's what I want you to think about. 
There's four types of songs. Joyful. If you thought for a second, what has brought me joy? What is an instance of something that brought me joy that I've done nothing to receive it? I did not create it. But it brings me great joy. You think about that for just a second. What has caused me great anger? And while I can't remove it, I know that God can. I know that God can take this anger from me. And when God takes this anger from me, I will celebrate and worship. What is making me desperate? What is making me anxious? How am I reacting to people out of my desperation? And how can I share that with God so that when I come to worship, I can celebrate that sharing of my desperation with God? How am I willing? Am I willing with a um, sledgehammer on a playground, building the playground? Am I willing to sing? Am I willing to pray? Am I willing to be with little guys? Am I willing to be with big people? Am I willing to be with young people? Am I willing to be with older people? What am I willing to do based on what God has done for me? If you're aware of these things, if you are not coming here thinking, well, it's nine, so we've got to go. And it's ten, so let us go. If you're thinking about those four topics and why you're grateful and why you want to come to worship, then you're living out this task. Um, I got to a place in that new church, and as I went to Buncombe Street, where my desire for a perfect service just, just kept rising. And the ability to pull off a perfect service doesn't rise. It doesn't. You can try. You can have as many organizational tools as you want. You can practice as much as you want. You can be as passionate as possible. But if my desire to have a perfect one continued, then I would just be a long-distance truck driver in the next five years. And just be on, I would just drive to California and back, and that would be my job, because I couldn't continue to do this job. But if my desire is to say, how can I help us all be grateful and worship God in that gratitude with our prayers, with our scripture, with our songs, with our greeting one another, with our generous giving, then I'll learn a little bit. Last quote. In worship, people practice the highest command Jesus has taught us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So it's not about what we do to bridge the gap. It's about our gratitude for what God has done already to reach out to us. Let us pray. Thank <laughs> you.
Gracious God, we are so entirely grateful for your patience as we try to figure this out. We're grateful for your wisdom. And when we question it, understanding about 1% of the situation, we're grateful again for your patience. We're grateful for your pursuit as we sit idly, hoping you'll come as we run with everything we have trying to get away from you. As we suggest to others that we don't have what it takes or what we need to do what we've been asked to do. Help us, Lord, to not figure it's nine, so we should probably go to worship, or it's 11, so we should probably go to worship. But this is my time to go and celebrate what God has already done for me and to learn what I can do throughout this week so that when we gather together, we will celebrate again. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for our affirmation together. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God, who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus, crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to ask our uh, ushers to come forward and uh, if you'll give your tithes and other offerings. from God that we receive brought to life we open up our eyes to see the majesty and glory of the King He has filled our hearts with wonder so that we always remember You and I have made worship God on high, stepped out in time, and wrote the story of his love for everyone. 
has filled our hearts with wonder so that we always remember you and I have led in worship you and I have gone in love you and I are forgiven and free you and I embrace surrender you and I choose to believe you and I will see we were meant to be even the rocks cry out, even the heavens shout, at the sound of His holy name. Let every voice sing out, let every knee bow down, He is worthy of all our praise. You and I are led in worship, you and I are born in love, you and I are given and free. stand and sing with us. I 
Go forth to serve the Lord so that this community knows that Memorial cares about it, that it knows what's going on, and that we want to impact this community. Amen. Have a blessed week.